Well, good morning, and I'm glad to see many of you here today. I uh, I was prepping yesterday. As Dr. Stokes said, he wasn't sure if he was going to make it. Um, unfortunately, we all know many of the things that are going on in the family. So I grabbed the scriptures as he, uh, he had them all laid out here. And I'm sure I'm not going to present the same thing he was going to present. So I'm going to do my best to use those passages. We won't read them all or we'd be here till about 4 o'clock. Um, but I do want you to go ahead and turn to Genesis. That will be the first passage that I will use. Today's service is based on the new creation. It is um, one of those special Holy Day services that we have created here uh, at the Disciple Center. As we have went through the High Holy Days of the, of the Torah, we went through the, call, um, the Shofar service, then we went through Yom Kippur, the repentance, and we went through Sukkot, then we did Simchat Torah, and now we do this piece because we are believers in the Messiah, Christ Jesus. Yet, as we look forward to that eternal kingdom, we need to also reflect and remember the past to know where we are. We are in the middle of all these things. So, I know my cousin is really big in lo- into looking at history of our family, yet it helps to know where we came from, even as a people of God. It helps to let us know what some of our struggles may be in our own flesh, and our own desires. For we have not entered into the kingdom of eternity yet. And it speaks of some of these as we read through what those who have went before us have struggled with. So, if you haven't already turned there, Genesis is a really easy book to find. It's the very beginning of the, the Bible itself. And I'll pick up in Genesis 1. I'm just going to discuss some of these chapters uh, in parallel with what they say. So I'll go through the beginning. That way we can see God's creation. As Genesis 1 describes, Day 1, God created light, separating it from darkness, calling the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now on day 2, God created the expanse, the air to separate the waters. That one... I was trying to really understand, and I had to go back to the rabbis to research this, because I was like, well, does that mean he made the earth? Nope, that's actually in the third day. He just separated the heavens, the waters in the heavens, from the waters below during that second day, is what the rabbis and the early church fathers talked about. Now, day three, God created the dry land and separated the seas, vegetation with trees he created, He made all these great things on the third day. Now, this is all great whenever you're around the kids. You can really glean from this and actually make it into a great story. Because God, how can you do all this in just three days? But yet, He did. Yet, the scriptures point, right, to a day being like a thousand years to Him. And a thousand years just like a day to Him. Yet, we struggle and we only live 80, 90, sometimes 100 years. 
in our flesh here. So day three, that's what God created. Now day four, God made the stars. He made the stars? That means he made the universe. He made beyond just what is here on that day, on the fourth day. He made the heavens, separating the day and night and allowing the stars to govern the night with all the little lights above. We're in amazement. We can see millions of miles away, yet God created even those little things. For there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Okay, day five, God created the birds of the sky and the living creatures in the sea. He made them all good and he thought they were good when he made them. For there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Now day six, God created the animals of the earth. And he also, well, let me stop here. He created the animals of the earth, so nothing, he made the birds, he made the fish the day before. If he would have stopped in day six, he probably wouldn't have had the frustration that we see in some of these other chapters. He would have just created the animals, yet he went ahead and created man. And it says that he created us in his own image. Giving us the ability. I don't know why he did this. Why would he create the ability to turn against him? Yet he did not want robots. He created us in his image. Giving us the ability to make choices. He made them male. He made them female. On the sixth day. And on the seventh day as we know. We. He rested on that seventh day. And he called it Sabbath. For it was good for him to rest. Giving us an example that we can't go through every day. All year long. Or even all week long. Without finding some type of rest. That he would have for us. To set aside. To reflect on him. To spend time with our families. I know in this busyness of life, we can get caught up in too much. Yet, He created Adam and Eve. And He created the Garden of Eden. And that was a perfect place on earth. Yet today, we look at the eternal. And it's a reflection, Garden of Eden was, of what is to come. Nothing at that point was sinning on the earth until Eve and Adam ate from the tree of life. And they actually chose. It was the way that God had created them. So we can reflect and learn from some of these passages that we're going to go over today. That way we can reflect and be aware of what our own flesh and our own human nature is. And it's not always to be walking with God. But yet it's only by the Spirit that we can fulfill all these things. So let us go through the next portions of the passages and look at what human race did. It wasn't always walking right by the light of God. But they chose their own destinies. They chose to turn away from Him. And um, moving on past the creation we can see it didn't take very long for man to become evil. 
Cain and Abel, it points out, were the first ones. Well, actually, the first ones were Adam and Eve. They turned aside and partook of that fruit. Yet Cain and Abel, we can see murder at this earliest point. And in um, moving forward to the to the chapter four of Genesis, we actually can see how Cain killed Abel, and yet it was in chapter six six where God reflects. And says, the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. He, he wanted to blot out this sin. He wanted to actually get rid of it. Yet, as we know, there was one righteous family. There was one righteous man, I should say. Because we can see later on that one of Noah's wasn't even walking in that faith. Or that way, he was walking in the faith, but he chose to do bad Yet, this creation that we see in the Garden of Eden reflects that of the eternal. And we see here that Noah found to be righteous in God's eyes. So, yet, let let me try to use an illustration for you. Even though God, the Garden of Eden was a reflection of what is to go. God had to restructure things. We have the flood coming and the warning from God. God, our master, our maker, warns of what is to come through Noah. And as I've heard so many times, Noah was a prophet. He was probably teaching as he's building this big, gigantic ark in the middle of nowhere close to the ocean. And yet... As he's doing it, nobody's really paying attention. And if they are, they're not even converting because they didn't get on the boat. That tells you we need to be aware of our own intentions. We struggle with this daily. Our flesh is not the spiritual yet. And yet one day we hope and we pray and we know that one day we will enter into that glory. And he will raise us from the dead here on earth. And we will go to Jerusalem as it is even now. So, he warns of the flood to come. Noah's found favor in his sight. And um, he builds the ark. The interesting thing is, if you look at all creation at this point, I was just passing Carl's Jr. over by my house this week. And it said a few weeks ago, closed for construction. And I thought, okay, can't go in there anymore. But usually during construction, you really don't demolish it. You just do some stuff on the inside. Yet, I drove by yesterday on my way home from here, and I thought, they took it down to the studs. There is no more walls, nothing. And I thought, I'm going to use this as an illustration today because God had to demolish everything. He said, nothing good will come of this. And he took it right back to the studs and kept one family. And what else did he keep? He kept two of each kind, at least. I can't imagine 
every creature that's living today came from this one family or these one mother and father of that kind. I can't get past this part without letting you guys know because I was in, in astonishment that when I found out, I think it was, I have it here, seven. Seven two points. Uh, let me read Genesis six twenty to seven two. It says of the birds after their kind, and of the animals after their kind, and every creeping thing of the ground after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourselves some of all food which is edible, and gather it to yourself, and it shall be for food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. You shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, and a male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean, a male and his female. We can see the cleanness, and we can see the common, the unclean in the Levitical passages. But interesting enough, right, we've seen animals came in two by two. They did, male and female. Yet we know from this passage that the, of the clean, they came in seven pairs. Pretty awesome. And I was just amazed, so I try to point that out every time I come by Genesis 7 now. So there we went right by it. And now you have heard something that hopefully you didn't know. Picking up, though, after the the flood subsides, God has re-demolished or demolished everything and is recreating everything. Noah sends out a a raven and it doesn't come back. And then a few days later, he sends out a dove and it comes back and it has nothing in it. So, in other words, God wasn't quite finished, hadn't recreated anything, and the dove comes back and Noah takes it in. Now in this creation, Noah wasn't sure when everything would be dry again, so he waited seven more days. And then he sent that dove out, and it came back, and what did it come back with? An olive branch. It had been a little while, but God was forming his creation again. And yet, when it came back with the olive branch, Noah knew that it was time. And God said, leave the ark at this point. And um, it wasn't long before we know that Noah's own son would do something against him. Again, our human nature, our attitude, our behaviors, we need to look at this and be aware of what happened here so we don't make those same mistakes again. This is all for us to lean from so that we can walk more faithful. and But yet we don't have to worry because we know that God used Noah. He used his sons and the families for his glory. But yet we have to look at this so we're aware of intentions of yesterday and what our flesh may struggle with today. Noah's own son found him after Noah had built a vineyard, and started growing grapes. And it says in 
I'm sorry, I made these notes up really quick today. I had left because I wanted to leave early to go to Calvary Chapel earlier this morning, and I took off without them. So bear with me <clears throat> as I look for these passages as I had highlighted. Twenty. Okay, perfect, thank you. Then Noah began farming and planting a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it upon both their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done. So he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants. He shall be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. So just shortly after God re, you know, did the construction, rebuilt it, it wasn't the next generation. It was right after it was Noah's family that had chosen to do wrong. We need to be aware of this so we can move forward and hopefully use the Holy Spirit to glorify Him and not make these same mistakes. I hate to get to heaven and have God say, I taught you this in the scriptures and you made that same mistake. Yet, we know we have to be in the Word daily, teaching um, or learning from these Let us go to the New Testament passages now that are listed, and we'll turn to Mark 10, 28 through 31. And as you're turning there, I also want to reflect on the Tower of Babel. <clears throat> the people had gotten together during this, these passages, and I was reading up on this yesterday, trying to reflect on the attitudes and behaviors of the people of Babel. They had wanted to... It looks most of the time in there that they, they just wanted to build something into the heavens. And yet there's a passage in there that talks about why they wanted to. And they wanted to create it so they would be known. So again, it was their attitude that we have to be aware of. Because when we think we can do things on, our, on ourselves or by ourselves without the Lord... We're turning our eyes away and we're going into the darkness. We're not staying in the light. So those people of Babel, what happened? God came down. This is, I was talking with Kara about this. God came down out of heaven and said, this is not good. Now, if God came down out of heaven and looked upon them, the rabbis even said he was incarnate at that point. He already knows everything. He's omniscient he knows how what's going on he didn't have to but he's teaching in this way he came out of heaven who could that have been but other than christ and yet he went back and they discussed it is what it talks about so there was plural there again and it said we should change their languages so that they cannot do this anymore what has happened to today We can't get along because we speak different languages. We live in different continents. At that point is when we all went our own ways. 
And I believe Christ knew what would happen, right? He knows the beginning. He knows the end. Yet we can learn from these passages to move forward and hopefully glorify Him in the light that we shine upon others. So again, we see how intentions to do it on your own are evil and turn away from God. Mark 10, 28-31 says, Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you that no one who has left his house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecution and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So in other words, Christ is teaching here on the eternal perspective again. Yet, Peter had that question of saying, but I'm struggling here. I, I've given up everything. I used to have this, you know, this fishing that would go on. And I gave it up for you. And Christ comforts him by saying, yes, you did, Peter. And you may turn aside from your brothers and your sisters, but there is no one that will not be rewarded. Again, bringing him back to the light and back refocusing him. That's really what today's passages are telling us. To focus on the future, remember the past, and know that we're going to struggle and we may stray to the right or to the left, but we have to get back on course. Stay the path as many pastors have said. And Jesus points to that here in that passage. Now, in Hebrews, we can see in this illustration, as the writer of Hebrews talks about, Abraham was also called to leave his home, to leave his people, and God would call him and use him And we use him daily as an illustration to hopefully hold our faith as God worked within that man in that life, our forefather, who we've been grafted in with. Hebrews 11, 8 through 16 says, After you... 11, not 10. Um, By faith Abraham, when he was called obeyed by going out to place to a place which was to receive for an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob fellow heirs of the same promise and for he was looking for the city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life. Since she considered him faithful who had promised, therefore there was born even one man, and in him good as dead at that. As many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith 
without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed them that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, they had been thinking of that country from which they went out. They would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So just as Abraham basically left his home and went out because God had promised him a land flowing with milk and honey, he didn't inherit it, but he held on to that promise. We've got to hold on to the kingdom to come. We can get distracted. I can promise you that. I have in the past. We can get distracted by the fleshly desires, the fleshly needs. But yet, when you wander off that path, it can get very scary for the believer because they know that the light that shines over here is not the path that they're on. So they have to get back on that path. Just as Abraham wasn't perfect, right? He is a model for us. Yet, I can guarantee you that Sarah probably thought, you want me to say that I'm your sister? Yet God's hand was upon her and kept her from being harmed by many of those kings. And yet we can take heed and know that God will use even our own faults. But yet we cannot keep on sinning. We have to hold on and cling and stay in the light. Now, in Peter, this passage here, let us read this. First Peter, or Second Peter 3, 1 through 13 says, This gives us warnings of what is to come. For there will be evil days before we enter into that eternal kingdom. And this gives heed to that. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am steering up your sincere mind by way of reminder, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the days that will come, mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lust, and saying, Where is this promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it has been from the beginning of creation. So in other words, they're going to be trying to dissuade us. They're going to mock us, telling us, Why would you keep on living like that? Do we not hear that today? Why do we live the way we live? Because that's what Christ told us to do. We need to make sure to give Him glory and honor. If people say, why do you live the way you live? Well, I'm doing my best to follow the Scriptures. There are good people out there that do a lot of this, but they don't have any pathway. They, they're just trying to be good people. Yet we have a hope of what is to come. It goes on to say, For when they maintain this, it escapes their not notice that by the Word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, 
through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and the earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the days of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. So in other words, he recreated everything after Noah, and he reformed it, and he said he would never flood the earth again, and the rainbows in the sky, to prove that. Yet, there's going to come a day when fire will come down. And back in the 70s, they used to preach that hell and brimstone a lot more than what we hear today. Yet, we hold on to the promise. It says, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I'm going to pause there. This, if we, you, you really should have this knock you back into Jonah. What Jonah do? He said, "I don't want to go there, God. I'm not. I'm not going there." And then the waves stirred up. He was thrown into it. As we believe and we speak here, he was swallowed up by the belly of the fish. He probably died at that point, and then God revived him as the fish threw him up on shore, and he stunk. And that really is what happens to us when we walk away from God. We really stink. And yet we hope God doesn't have to get a hold of us like a heavenly father would. Even our own fathers here love us and want us to walk on that path. Because if he has to spank us to get us back on, it's not going to be pretty. <clears throat> Yet, he doesn't want any to perish that he has chosen. So even though we say, Dear Jesus, come back quickly, Lord. We have to remember it's in his time, not ours. And we have to pray and live a life hoping that we can be that of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, examples to those who need to come to the Lord. And pray that God uses us in that way. It says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. And the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. We have to make sure we're living this out correctly because if we don't 
why would people want to come back? Why would they, if they've never come to Christ, why would they want to come to Christ if we're distorting this? We have to know it. That's why we have to be in the words and be learning it daily, weekly, yearly. Hopefully we're all growing in grace and in knowledge. But looking forward to that day, for we will go through trials and tribulations here on earth. Now, let's, let's look at what is to come and what we have promised in Revelations 21. So we've went through, I could actually say, I guess I preached through Genesis through Revelation today, right? <clears throat> we had the Garden of Eden. It was perfect up until he made man, right? And then he did a little reconstruction. Actually, he did a lot. He wiped them all out. He kept his remnant and moved forward from that. He created the rainbow, telling them, I will never do this again. Now, we continue to struggle in our flesh and ask for the Holy Spirit to indwell us that we may walk faithfully in the light and be light into the world. Now, this is our eternal hope of what is to come. That which those, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, are living in because they have been God's remnant even prior to Christ. <clears throat> so, Revelation 21, 1-2, through 2, start out like this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I love the fact that they use husband and wife here, or they use the bride. The getting ready for the marriage ceremony of the Lamb. What is she doing whenever she's betrothed to her husband? There's a lot of stuff that still goes on in life. We still have to work when we're betrothed. We still got the daily stressors. Yet, her focus is on the wedding. Her focus is looking forward to her groom and being married. I know for men it's hard to imagine this, but we have to be in the same format. When, he was, when, we, when I was working and preparing to take care of my bride. I was excited too, and we were focused on this, and she would try to get me involved, and I would try to give her my opinion, and she would let me know she didn't want any of it. Um, but we were both focused when we would actually become one, echad. And one day, the Lord will return, and we will be one with Him. Picking up in 9.27, let's take a look at what that day will look like. Amazing that God lays it out and says, this is the structure of it. This is what's going to happen and where we'll be living. So 21.9-27 says, Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the bride the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain, showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, as a stone of crystal, clear jasper. It had a great and high wall, 
with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels. And the names were written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the son of Israel. There were three gates on these east, and there were three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as its width. And he measured the city with the rod, fifteen hundred miles its length and width and height are equal and he measured it its walls 72 yards according to human measurements which are also angelic measurements the material of the wall was jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass the foundation stones of the city were all were adorned with every kind of precious stone the first foundation stone with jasper and second sapphire the third Chalcedony, and the fourth emerald. The fifth sardent, sard, I should have asked Carrier about the, thank you, sardonyx. The sixth sardius, the seventh, you want to help? Chrysolite. Chrysolite. The eighth barrel. The ninth topaz and the tenth. Chrysoprase, thank you. The eleventh jacinth. And the twelfth amethyst. So again, he didn't want my opinion. I'm glad he didn't. I can't even pronounce this. So there's decoration already there. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. How amazing is that? I've seen huge pearls before. But these gates are going to be huge. And each one, not put together with several, but one pearl. I couldn't even imagine this. When I go out and look at the mountains, I'm glad he created it, not me. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or for the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nation will walk by its light, and kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, its gates will never be closed. And they, interesting, it says in the daytime, there will always be day. It will never be night there, because the glory of God is there. And they will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and nothing unclean. So in other words, there won't be any more sin Because nothing unclean will enter into it. No one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Just like what heaven did today. We've known over the path that she's been taking with Mike and Robin. That her name would be in there. But yet she's taking her own foundation today and moving forward. On a rock that's already been established. In our Messiah. Um, 22 says, Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its streets, on either side of the river, was a tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. 
interesting. We're still probably going to eat there, and this fruit is going to be amazing. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. His bondservants will serve Him. They will see His face. His name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of the lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Listen, we are those bondservants. We've got to heed the words, not of just the Gospels, but of the Torah. It tells us how to live. And we must heed the Gospels, for he showed us the righteous way in which to live. And the only way we're going to get through this life is by clinging to the promise of the eternal and looking back sometimes at what our life has brought us through so we will not repeat it. For I do not want our children to repeat our sins. I would rather see them walk a more straight path than what we have walked. And the only way to do that is through the Holy Spirit living through us. Let us go to the Lord today.